Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest today is Joshua Simons, a serial entrepreneur who for the past 20 years has founded several highly successful businesses in the nightlife and hospitality sectors. For those of you listening in the Paul and Bournemouth area, you'll be familiar with names such as Priva and Chicken and Blues. Both brands that Joshua either founded or co-founded. He's a gregarious, engaging character with a love of bringing people together for good times and good food. But, as you'll hear, all of this might never have been as up until his early 20s, Josh had his sights set on becoming a professional golfer. So in this podcast, Josh talks about how conversations in the family home formed his early knowledge of business. And when I was younger, I was a party to to phone calls my dad and my granddad and my uncle arguing about this talking about that you know high level business chats and that was normal to me to hear these sorts of things reveals the important lessons learned after the 2008 financial crisis i, I definitely think i was a little bit too cocky uh, about success and and thought it all came a little bit too easy um you know didn't consider the underlying business structure just cracked on and created what i thought were great things and discusses ways the pandemic has changed hospitality, perhaps forever. Well now, they, they demand click and collect because they love the efficiency of it. They like knowing what they've ordered. They like getting the confirmation email. They like arriving a minute before it's ready. Um, you know, so now 90% of our orders will be click and collect from customers who six months ago were complaining about it. If you want to know more about Evolve and the services that we offer, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, Let's get on with the show. Hello, Joshua. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. Thanks for inviting me on. It's Glad great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you as a guest. So looking back on your website, your blog, doing a little bit of research into your past, you initially you had plans to become a professional golfer. Uh, selected to play for Great Britain and Ireland when you were just 17, as I understand it. But at the age of 20, made the decision not to turn professional and joined the family business instead. What drove you to that decision? Um, well, I mean, firstly, I, I, I started playing golf when I was around 10 years old. Uh, my grandfather got me into it. And um, it, was, it was just one of those epiphany moments in my life as a kid where I, I thought, wow, this is what I want to be. Yeah. And um, like kids, of, you know, footballers, whatever, artists, musicians, mine was golf. And, and I was given the opportunity by my, by my family to... Uh, give it a really good go um, and I played you know pretty much full-time when I left school at 16 for four years around the world um, and during my school days I was always having time off to go to tournaments my dad was driving me around the country flying me to different areas of Europe to play events so I had a brilliant run um, but I, th- I think the uh, the decision came when I was 19 or 20 we'd moved down to Bournemouth from London at that point um, and I had a bit of a life moment where I thought, you know, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Because yeah. that's essentially what you're signing up to. It's a lifestyle. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a career. Um, and it went from being like a, a passion that I really loved um, and was becoming good at 
uh, to really being a job. Yeah. Um, and that switch, I think, uh, meant I lost a little bit of the love for the game. I mean, I, I went through a, bit, a period of bad form as well. Yeah. Um, and I was travelling around, staying in B and Bs, and all around the country, and and you know not playing that well. It's not a particularly glamorous. Do you life know what? At yeah, stage, I mean, it's, it's, it? It, yeah, no. it was it wasn't as glamorous um, as it may seem. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but it got to a stage where I thought, actually, you know, maybe I'm not Josh Simons, the golfer. That's how I was introduced by my mum and dad to all their mates, and yeah. you know, it was, oh, he, he's a golfer. Maybe I don't want to be a golfer anymore. And okay. I, said, I said it to mum and dad, and they were like, you know what? You don't want to be a golfer? Don't be a bloody golfer. Just put, yeah. your, put your clubs away. And I said, all right. I'll do it for a few months um, and uh, my dad had opened up a restaurant and he said come and do a bit of work for me and uh, never went back to it. So yeah, you, you're touching it there. So your mum and dad owned and operated restaurants in Sandbanks and in Bournemouth. So in a sense, do you think you're always destined to start your own business and be in the hospitality sector? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I grew up in essentially uh, an entrepreneurial family. Um, my my grandparents on both sides had their own businesses um, in, in fashion and hairdressing in London. Um, and then my dad, my granddad and my uncle got together and before my dad was in hospitality and, and launched a, a fashion brand called Mark One, which was like the Primark of its day. Yeah, um, I remember, remember yeah, the stores. That's yeah. right, they had a few down here. So it was, it was, yeah, it was essentially the first uh, discount fashion retailer on the high street. Um, and they grew it from one store in, in Birmingham um, to 10 years later, 120 stores around the UK. Uh, turning over 100 million plus. My dad was MD, my granddad was CEO, my uncle was the buyer. Wow. Uh, my nan was the lingerie buyer, my mum was the kids wear buyer. Okay, real real family proper, business. Proper, proper family business. I was only a young you know, teenager yeah. at that point at school. Um, so, so, you know, they'd come from nothing, um, both sides of the family, and, and essentially, you know, grown a really big concern um, and all the trappings of wealth I was, yeah. you know, I benefited from, you know, lovely holidays, private school, all these sorts of things. Um, but essentially a working class family. Um, yeah. And, and um, so the conversations around dinner table were always business. And yeah. when I was younger, I was a party to to phone calls, my dad and my granddad and my uncle arguing about this, talking about that, you know, high level business chats. And yeah. that was normal to me to hear these sorts of things. And when they eventually sold Mark One to Philip Green, who, who was a family friend, um, for a cut price, he got it for in the end during the 93. Philip Green deal, it would you, be. You, you, are, yeah, you never get a great deal out of him, but, but uh, it was during the 93, 94 kind of economic crash. Okay. Um, they were going to float Mark yeah. 1, uh, ended up selling it for a cut price to Philip. Um, so from there, my mum and dad, who were only in their kind of mid-30s at that point with four kids, wow. um, had a decision to make as to what they did with their lives. Um, they came out with some money, nowhere near as much as they had all kind of, uh, yeah. you know, dreamt of, uh, which was on the table at the time. Um, so my granddad went into nightclubs in Turkey and then eventually set up another chain of fashion stores with my uncle. Mum and dad moved to Bournemouth because okay. my, my, mum and, my, my dad's parents had moved down here years before from London. We'd come down here on holiday and stuff like that. And um, he opened up a few restaurants in London got sick of London, sold them, moved down to Bournemouth and, and opened Cafe Shaw. So right. uh, yeah, when he got into hospitality, that's when I got to the stage where I was doing a bit of part-time work for him in the restaurants in London and moved down here doing a bit of bar work. So I was like growing up around that environment, getting yeah. to know how, how it all works. So yeah, it, it, I think, you know, because of my upbringing, I think, you know, anyone's environment as they grow up through those formative years, um, it definitely affects the adult that yeah. they become. So it was always a case of, you know, what business are you going to start? You know, if yeah. you're not doing golf, what you what you're going to create yeah. as opposed to what job are you going to get? Do you know yeah, I mean? it wasn't so, uh, go pursue a career. It was no, no, no. They, they, they'd never had never had jobs. My parents, my, my grandparents, never had a job. They just always created a business. That's what they do. Right. So um, yeah, for better or worse, really, because there's a lot of stress involved. Yeah. So I think I sent. Yeah, I was I was always uh, mindful that if I didn't become a golfer, then I'd probably go and work in the family business. But before creating something yeah. myself. 
And that's that came along quite quickly, didn't it? As you co-founded Private Nightclub in Bournemouth. Yeah. What drew you to the nighttime nightclub sector? Um, I, I think I was a good age, a good age for it. I was sort of 20, 21 years old. Uh, my dad had Jimmy's in Bournemouth. Um, he he. I didn't like working as a waiter. I didn't like working as a barman. Um, mm. You know. I don't mean anything derogatory towards those careers at all, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. I was trying to find my niche in my dad's business. Yeah. Um, and he said, okay, well, look, how are you going to drive some revenue for me then? And I said, well, I can start setting up some nights and, you know, live band nights and right. do this and that and get into promotion. So is it promotion? Promoter, yeah, promoter, promoter, promotions and marketing. And, and the, fir- okay. the first project he gave me was at Jimmy's. Um, he said, okay, do something on Thursday nights. Thursdays should be busier. Um, so I put together a band called the Jimmy's House Band, um, called it Thursday Night Live, did all yeah. the marketing, local magazines, press, yeah, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And and it went from being a two or three thousand quid Thursday to being a six, seven grand Thursday yeah. and, and sustained for a couple of years. Um, and he said, I, I kind of found my position in the company as like sales okay. and marketing. And then next door to Jimmy's, there was a, uh, a venue that had gone bust. It was a bar. And yeah. uh, I pitched my dad the idea of, of doing a nightclub there. And uh, I've been up to London a few times, seen the kind of Las Vegas style VIP table clubs with the champagne on uh, sparklers, yeah. that sort of thing. And I said, you know, Bournemouth could do with something like that, like yeah. a VIP small table club. So he backed me on that. That was a great success. Uh, we ended up selling the whole Jimmy's uh, brand for around a million quid a few years later. So it was, it, was a, it was a really successful project. I thought I was a bit of a legend, drive around in a Mercedes, yeah. you sold my nightclub. <laughs> I made it. Yeah, I thought I made it. Uh, little did I know the next five years would slap me in the face. But um, yeah, I think getting into the nightclub business was, was for me, fun. And, and, and it, was, it, can, it encompassed uh, marketing and promotion, which is where yeah. I found my niche as being. Okay. So yeah. And I suppose we'll come on to it, but that, that's a theme, that marketing, promotion, finding a new niche mm. in a, an established sector is something you've got on to do. But you mentioned there something quite interesting. You say the next five years slapped you around the face. So what happened yeah. there then, Josh? Well, I, I, I often apologise to my dad about it because I kind of got on this nightclub train where I thought, you know, I want to have bigger and more powerful nightclub yeah. brands and, and you know, huge, bigger art, artists and, and bigger capacities and all these sorts of things. And, and my dad backed me on it again, really. He went and uh, you know, raised a few million quid um, with the banks and we opened up Landmark in Bournemouth Town Centre, the converted church, which is now Halo Nightclub. Yeah. And we took the, the premises next door, which was the K Bar, and turned it into a club called 2020. Yeah. Um, and and we, we launched two, you know, highly geared entertainment venues, um, which ran for, for four years and traded very well, um, but financially became very tough to, to actually continue trading because, again, financial crisis happened. Yeah. Um, credit crunch of, uh, was it 08, 09? 08, 09, yeah. yeah. And, and the banks came in. My dad actually didn't let me go to that meeting. I've been to loads and loads of meetings with the banks, and this one was a serious one, so I think he, kept me, he shut the door <laughs> and said, oh, mate, I've got to talk to these guys. And, and effectively, they said... Um, they're raising the interest rate. They wanted a, a 500 grand callback in four yeah. weeks and on the debt. And my dad said, well, we can't do it. Um, we, we, you know, the business is, we're doing 50, 60,000 quid a week. We can't yeah. service double the interest and pay you back 500 grand. It's not going to happen. Um, and they basically uh, sent a letter in saying, okay, we'll basically give us back the keys. My dad had PG'd his house um, on, on, the, on part of the debt. So it all went a bit tits, yeah. basically. So I went from sort of, you know, um, as Piers Morgan says, one day the, you're the cock of the walk, the next the feather duster. Yeah. I was like, I thought I was, I was doing really well, yeah. and 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 we're doing these amazing things. Radio One were in Bournemouth doing our events, and we'd done you know big concerts at the BIC, and it was all going so well. But underlying, um, the financial structure of the business um, got hit with an, you know an unforeseen circumstance, yeah. um, and it all came crashing down in in 2008, 2009. 
So uh, yeah, that was a that was a huge lesson. And what did you learn about yourself in that experience? You know, it seems like you've you know even in this conversation, Josh, you can yeah. see how you're reflecting on it. Yeah. So what did you learn about yourself through that? Experience? I think I think these things happen for a reason. Um, I, I definitely think I was a little bit too cocky uh, about success and and thought it all came a little bit too easy. Um, you know, didn't consider the underlying business structure just cracked on and created what I thought were great things. Mm. Um, but yeah, this, it all comes down to, you know, the bottom right hand cell of the spreadsheet. And if that's not adding up at the end of each month, yeah. there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so whilst from the outside, it looked fantastic on internally, it wasn't quite so rosy. I think well, I, I learned to drop the ego of outward kind of, you know, look how great we are yeah. um, and actually get your head down and get, and get the structure set up correctly internally. Um, and uh, not be so blasé about yeah. money, quite honestly, because we were just burning cash on stuff. You know, if you lose 20 grand on an event, you lose 20 grand on the event. I'll sell it to myself as a, as a, as a profile event for the yeah, brand. Yeah, built the profile, yeah. built the brand, it's fine, you, you don't know what? worry. Yeah, you yeah, only take five, five profile events and you go bust. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that's, that can, I think I suppose what I learned from that, from that uh, period was that, um, you know, overnight you can lose everything yeah. if you're not on the case with the important stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, my dad was kind of backing me on the whole thing. So I felt, I felt bad because my dad would never open nightclubs unless it was me who was pushing it. You know, <laughs> he, didn't give, he, didn't, he didn't like nightclubs, you know. So it was kind of me and my team that were driving this kind of big project. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, th I think, I think e ego took a huge bashing. Um, it definitely humbled me um, because went from, you know, driving a Range Rover to not having a car mm. overnight. Um, you know, couldn't afford to pay my kids nursery fees. Yeah. Um, you know, I hadn't saved any money because I was just, you know, for me, it was just only ever going to get better. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it definitely brought me back down to earth, brought us all back down to earth in, in many ways. Um, it made us realize that actually material wealth, um, all the trappings of success like cars and holidays and stuff aren't that really, aren't that mm. important. You know, it's stability and financial security and being able to sleep at night yeah. is, is far more important. So, uh, yeah, it definitely realigned us, I think, during that time. Right. And yeah, well, it's that, I suppose it's the importance of having that proper financial or business model that underlines the marketing, the brand and the promotion exactly. and exactly. finding the niche. And clearly from what you've got on to do, you've, you have learned from those lessons. Yeah, I, for sure. And having said that, you know, I, I'm not by any means saying that I haven't made a lot of mistakes since. Of course we have, oh. but, uh, don't we all in business? Yeah. I yeah. think business is just about, you know, limiting and dialing down the amount of errors that you make and, and trying to learn from previous errors and, and not make them again. I think if you if you continue to make the same errors, you don't deserve to be successful. Um, so I've tried not to make the same mistakes again, but it was very difficult going from, uh, from that quite high profile local company that had all the events and nightclubs and stuff like that to starting from scratch again, um, trying to get people to believe in you mm. um, and, and back you, customers and, and uh, investors. Yeah. I mean, we opened up Priva nightclub about six weeks after the 2020 landmark thing went wrong. Um, no, the daily, I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but the Daily Echo reporters were parked outside my dad's house trying to get stuff in. You know, my dad owed money to a few suppliers that obviously yeah. um, got caught short. There were suppliers that had made a fortune out of my dad for 10 years, that then would only remember the five grand he owed him at the end of the journey yeah. and slag him off around town, slag us off around town. But yeah, my phone, my phone that was ringing off the hook every day went dead. Um, you know, learned a lot of lessons about the reality of life um, during that time. And, and starting again with, with Priva, um, we, we managed to scramble some money together to open it. Um, and, and over the course of the first seven or eight weeks, it was really quiet. And I thought, shit, 
you know, there we go again. I've jumped in from the chip pan to the fryer here. Why the hell did I open another nightclub? Yeah. You know, why didn't I do something different? Um, but we worked really hard on customer service, worked really hard on the customer experience. And over the course of the, you know, the next two or three months, it became a very, very popular club. Um, and we were much more um, you know, mindful of outgoings and much more mindful of incomings. Um, and, it, and it was a very successful company. Um, and we ended up opening another one in Barbados. Uh, and over the course of the next four or five years, it became quite a cool brand, mm. um, successful club business. Uh, but then it got to, again, with the, like with the golf, it became a lifestyle decision. It's like, yeah. well, I've got two kids, I'm married, nightclubs finish at five in the morning. I've actually just opened, uh, created a job for myself, not a business. I'm, yeah. I'm, there to, I'm there myself at all times. When I finish at the club in Bournemouth, it's four hours behind in Barbados. Someone Skyped to my sister and the manageress over there to see how Barbados is going, sleeping three hours a night, you know, thinking that's what it took to be a successful mm. entrepreneur. But actually, it made me ill. Um, so we came to a decision, myself and my dad, where we decided to close both the clubs, um, Bournemouth and Barbados. Flew my sister and, and Kate, our manageress there, back to, back to England. And then thought, right, let's just reset. Forget the nightclub business. It's, it's a difficult business to make work at the best of times. Um, but having a nightclub thousands of miles away mm. is even more difficult, uh, especially in a place like Barbados, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. Barbados isn't exactly the uh, the easiest environment in I which to operate any imagine. business. <laughs> yeah, let, let alone a nightclub business. Um, and and yeah, at which point I I started making some moves to to try and do some other things. Yeah. Um, and and that's where uh, the, the Chicken and Blues brand and a few other things with my business partner Steve Crawford started to to arise okay. from. Um, and there was a few difficult decisions I had to make. One was, was you know, not continuing my journey with my family yeah. um, in whatever they decided to do then, you know. So I went off on my own effectively and, and um, with another, another business partner and the journey took a different course. From okay, there on. so you just yeah. mentioned Steve Crawford. So was yeah. he, a, is he been a new business partner to you in the newer events? That's right. So Steve, Steve was actually a customer of ours at Priva. That's okay. how I first met him. He was, a, he was a banker at JP Morgan. He used to come in with his mates and, you know, yeah. uh, he was the VIP customer that yeah. I that I uh, had set the, cu- the the club up for. Kind of yearned for. Yeah, that like was he, he, he was like the epitome <laughs> of, of a Priva customer. You know, big bottles of vodka out with all his mates. You know, having a good time. Um, and and uh, he just persistently kept asking me about different business ideas he had. And and at, at one point I was like, look, mate, I've, I've got a nightclub. You know, I'm concentrating on this. Yeah. Um, but he, he was very persistent, and we ended up setting a business up called Elite Living, which was like a, a local Groupon. Okay. Uh, I had a big database of customers. He had the idea of this deal voucher platform um, and so we ended up doing that um, and then I then started Chicken and Blues as well right soon after yeah okay and you've got on you've got a rosé wine brand yeah we got well it was funny actually you say that because there, yeah there, there's quite a few projects we've had on um, that during the pandemic we've killed off or okay. sold um, we sold Elite Living to a um, lovely group of girls um, who we're announcing that next month actually right um, Press Play Rosé was a, was a fun project some of my mates um, right. we've parked that for the, just for the time being it will come back but it's kind of like yeah. a fun project um, there's no money in wine until you get to a, a level of like 100,000 plus bottles a year right we, we sold nearly 10,000 bottles right. last year just, lo- just scratching the surface well yeah it, just locally it was, it was a, yeah, yeah it kept us busy during the pandemic it was, it was good fun but um, that takes that takes a lot of investment to, to grow the brand yeah we'd love to do it at some point um, and yes, yeah, so we've killed off a lot of stuff that we were doing, um, which, you know, for, uh, from a philosophy perspective, being an entrepreneur um, and trying to be an entrepreneur, a successful one, you sometimes think that you need to have lots of things mm. going on. 
Um, and the more, the, the more plates you're spinning, the better. You almost show off about it. It's like a badge of honor. I've yeah. got 10 businesses. I've got eight businesses. Yeah. Look, how, look how great I must be. But actually, um, you know, some of the most successful people in the world just did one thing for yeah, 50 I, years. I talk a lot <laughs> you know? about, I know, you know, I've made, made that mistake before. I talk yeah. about spending some time out in China, you know, looking at modular housing and, and all yeah. of that with, you know, with a property developer friend. And it was just a distraction. 100%. And it was a sideshow and it was a shiny yeah. new thing. That's exactly right. But yeah. it, ultimately, it was a distraction. And actually, you've yeah. got to have focus. I talk about fo- focus, passion, and belief in what you do. That's right. And without that, you know. And But some people can sustain it, can't they? Some people have a talent yeah. for being able to have that focus, passion, and belief in multiple things. Yeah. And delegate well and build a team around them. I think I think delegation and team building is the main thing. Yeah. Um, there's no way that one person can run 10 businesses no. and, and, <laughs> and, do, and do them all do them no. well. Just can't do it. Um, but what, what I've found with people, you're right, who have got multiple brands or businesses is that they're very, very good at, at incentivizing and recruiting experts in each field yeah. of businesses that they've got. Um, and they haven't created themselves 10 jobs. They, they yeah. actually oversee 10 managers or 10 executives that look after each of the companies. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of sprinkle a bit of magic dust over them. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, entrepreneurial mindsets, uh, you know, what they fight against are shining the objects, yeah. you know. Is everyone's got a billion dollar idea everyone's yeah. got the idea that can make you millions this year um, it's, 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 more, it's more about what you say no to as what you do say yes to yeah. and I think over the years I've said yes to too much yeah. um, so now now the operative word is no um, yeah. and uh, you know we've got two or three brands uh, that we're working on and we, we spend all of our time on them um, and, and we're reaping the benefits already by not having the dilution of energy yeah. and distractions elsewhere definitely yeah. and um so where did the concept for Chicken and Blues come? You know, the team here love Chicken and Blues. We're oh, only down the yeah, road from are, Ashley yeah. Cross good to hear. branch. They love it, but it's a great concept. Where did it come from? Well, like, like all good ideas, it was stolen, um, you know, and, and kind of just refined a bit okay. and turned into our own version of it. I've seen various, there's various um, comparable brands and uh, concepts in London and, and abroad, uh, in America mainly. Um, and I was looking around at stuff during the pre previous days as to what I wanted to do next and I thought I thought food was a good thing to get into because um, obviously you know restaurants don't close at five in the morning for a start mm-hmm. and I knew about food having had restaurants um, as part of my CV previously with my family and I suppose it's that hospitality sector it's Hospi- customer yeah. care again isn't it exactly it's exactly and also it's the fun of creating a brand creating a product you know marketing it um, you know iterating getting things right. it's a fun process to go yeah. through um, so I looked around, obviously on, on the high street, you had lots of fried chicken shops, like cheap ones, basically, you know, bad quality products, not very well branded, etc. cetera. Uh, Nando's being the obvious national player that does it brilliantly well. Um, yeah. And I thought we could just create a, a barbecue chicken, you know, not fried barbecue, so it's healthier. Yeah. Um, a really well branded chicken shop, a traditional chicken shop um, that specialized in, in, you know, quick serve takeaway and delivery and, and, and focused on high quality product, high quality brand, high quality marketing and that sort of thing. Um, and so I got together with a few with, with the time, four or five of my mates as I, I was skint at the time, you know, I was just coming out of the nightclub business and I'd yeah. done all my money. Um, so I, I, I proposed the idea to a group of friends and, um, managed to get in on like 25% shareholdings for no money down as it was my idea. And, um, and, and kind of dug that business out the dirt really. Um, and you know, I, I hung my hat on it working. I had no idea whether, whether it was going to work or not. Right. Uh, but thankfully from day one in Boscombe in our first store, uh, you know, queuing around the corner, yeah. um, you know, every day. 
Um, and it's because we've got the product right, yeah. you know, and and on the, on the back of the promotional expertise and, and databases that I had at my, you know, at the touch of a button through Facebook, yeah, okay. etc. So taking that knowledge into the yeah, different it was sector. Just, exactly. Going going back to our customer base that we've sold VIP nights out and events to for ten years and saying, why don't you try our chicken? You know, and uh, <laughs> and hopefully they wouldn't be like, mate, you know, you're not an expert in that. Like, I'm not buying chicken off you. But uh, no, thankfully they tried it and loved it. And uh, from day one, it was it was it was very successful. And then I went through a, a period of uh, partnership problems um, yeah. where we thought, hold on a minute, it's always the case when you have a small business and loads of partners, like yeah. who's doing what, who's putting more time in, I don't deserve yeah. this, you deserve that, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I'm only on this percentage, I'm not working this. And we had all that to deal with. And I was like, okay, well, I, I hand on heart believe in this brand, and yeah. I, but I believe we can grow this business in something great. So I'm not leaving. <laughs> so, so give me give me a price give me a number yeah you're out that's cool i'd yeah. rather have one partner than five yeah um and and you know i ended up buying well myself and steve bought them all out okay uh, in fact we bought out our last partner last week right so okay. uh, yeah um so he was a guy a guy who lives in dubai who, who initially funded the first site so or most of the first site so um so yeah it's now now myself and steve and um you know that's taken us seven or eight years to work on growing the brand and the business, but also, you know, uh, sort the structure out yeah. and, and make sure that everyone who has a share in this company is on the same page. Um, and uh, thankfully, yeah, like I say, last week, <laughs> bizarrely, <laughs> was the last person was gone, seven or eight years later. Wow, you know? congratulations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks. Because you're, you're right, aren't you? In a, in a small entrepreneurial business, you've all got to be rowing in the same direction at the yeah. same pace. 100%. And, and it's really difficult. And I think it's one of the difficulties for smaller businesses, isn't it, is, where do you get the funding from? Because mm. typically with an entrepreneurial startup, it needs that business angel investment. Yes. But they're coming in for a financial return, which is kind That's of right. aligned with the founders. Mm. But the founders are going to put a lot more blood, sweat and tears. And if you don't get that agreement right from the start, you're always paddling upstream, aren't you? 100%. I think it also depends what industry you're in. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. restaurants are very capital intensive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we opened our Boscombe shop on an absolute shoestring and it still cost us about 60,000 quid. Yeah. Um, you know, we opened up Elite Living, our voucher website for two grand, yeah. you know, and it was making two grand a week from week one. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it, it depends where, where you are. You can bootstrap a company to a certain level. Um, restaurants, when you're opening up a, a direct-to-consumer product like that, you know, customers can see through a bootstrap and go, yeah. oh, these boys have really like done the painting and decorating themselves. Yeah. And you lose a bit of, bit of credibility there. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you have to you have to get the money together if you can. And we were lucky with Boscombe, it was a very small square footage site. Yeah. So it didn't cost us that much money to get a bit of signage up and a bit of wood and a bit of this and some decorations. It was like, literally fit seven people in the place yeah. and it was done. Um, but when, when you start doing well, um, you know, then of course, investors come calling and yeah. say, oh, I want to get involved. And we've had hundreds of people over the last seven years is just saying how much money can I put in yeah. um, but you're right it's just dumb money and smart money we don't really want to get involved with, with business partners who who just see uh, it as a, as a function of like investing some cash and getting a return yeah. um, if we do take money which we haven't done um, we're, not, we're not planning on doing if we do take money in it will be you know, a private equity company that specialises in restaurant growth and yeah. investments, something like Piper, for example, um, who've grown Turtle Bay and this one, Las Iguanas, yeah. and they had a great history of so growing. They'll take your brand. And they'll, yeah, they'll say, look, some... we're going to put five million quid in for yeah. X percentage, but look at the team we have, and yeah. we're going to take you from a couple of sites to 20 sites. Yeah. Um, would I, I wouldn't take a million quid off a local bloke or woman yeah. who just thinks think a bit of fun, who's not yeah. going to add anything to the party apart from cash. Yeah. You know, cash isn't what we need. We, we need, of anything, 
expertise and cash as a, as a kind of team player. And that ability to scale quickly. Which yeah, because is... it, it takes a lot of skill sets um, to, to, to scale a restaurant company. It's such a com- complex business to run. Um, going from two sites to 20 sites is is not very simple. No. Uh, not only is it bloody expensive, um, you yeah. also got to have a team of people that have done it before yeah. um, on board yeah. or you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. You know, as simple yeah. as that. Yeah, it's, again, it comes down to you can't do everything yourself. No, you can't. And you, and you no. start to scale a, a, a restaurant business. And I imagine, yeah, you are just, you know, it's hard running two sites sometimes. You know, we, we've got a small team. We've got a brilliant ops guy now called Ash, Ashley Brown, who's a partner of our new site, Flamingo, our new concept. But he's came in as a, an operations director of Chicken and Blues, um, moved down from London. He, he grew us a, a, a burger brand called Hache Burger from one site to seven sites in the okay, city so and, he's got and sold a lot it. Of knowledge around that well, from, from one site to seven sites yeah. and, and sell and, and actually exiting for, for decent money. Mm. Yeah, he's gone through that journey. So um, he's, he's come, come down here, uh, moved back down to Paul. He's from Paul. Um, been with us for 13, 14 months and, uh, tr- and helped us transform Chicken and Blues uh, operationally um, and, and uh, increase efficiencies, et cetera, across the board. Yeah. Um, profitability has gone from X to, you know, X times 10 because, yeah. um, because, of, because of his expertise. It just shows you. Brilliant. You touched on it just then. You, so we'll talk about COVID and we'll talk about the effect on the business and the hospitality sector in general. But um, Flamingo is the new brand, yeah. new site was ready to go 12 months ago, as I understand yeah. it. Cash invested, uh, yeah. obviously mothballed uh, until soon. So tell us about the new concept, Josh. Well, yeah, Ashley, who I just mentioned, uh, was instrumental in the new concept there at Flamingo. We initially took the site on, um, and we're going to open a, a burger brand called Brenda's, like an American roadside kind of, uh, you know, traditional classic burger brand. Okay. Um, he came down and looked at the site, and we weren't going to use any of the garden out the back. It was just like a roadside store with a kitchen behind it. Um, and he went out and looked at this yard out the back and said, guys, this is like gold mine. Like there's, yeah. no out, there's no outdoor dining or seating in the whole of Winton, which is where the area of Bournemouth that it's in. He said, why are we not using this? And I said, well, we, we can't do like a 120 cover burger restaurant. It's Winton. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, want, I, want a, I want a 20 cover takeaway. Yeah. You know, I can't, you're not going to put 1,000, 1,500 covers a week in there for burgers and fries. He said, no, no, forget Brenda's. He said, right. Brenda's can be one of the brands here. Uh, he said, but come to London, let me show you some stuff. So we went up to London last year before the pandemic hit. Um, and we looked at five or six concepts up there, which are basically, you know, large drinking and dining establishments, right. indoor, outdoor, that had five or six different so kitchens. more like street food Yeah, street food. Exactly. exactly. Vendors so around. Multiple street okay. food vendors um, that they had deals with. And, and uh, people went there, chose what vendor they wanted to eat from yeah. um, and, and, and socialized and drank and ate at the venue. So we came back and said, OK, well, I don't want to get on board with five different street food vendors no. on this site. But what we can do is conceptualize multiple brands ourselves um, and create them all in the same central kitchen. And that's where they come from. When customers okay. come and sit down at the table, they can order from one of our brands. And if one of the brands goes really well, there's no reason why we couldn't open a standalone site for it elsewhere. Um, if one of the brands goes really badly, mm-hmm. we can just kill it yep. and bring a new brand in. So it's try, like ever, try a new concept, ever, try something yeah. different. And we've got yeah. a development kitchen with development chefs who are always trying out new stuff. Um, it enables us to jump on new trends uh, okay. and, and kill old trends. Yeah. So uh, we decided to call it Flamingo. Um, okay. you know, Flamingo is the most sociable animal in, in the animal kingdom. Okay. And we thought we were creating a real social Never space. Never knew that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Don't hold me to that. Actually. That was on Wikipedia. But, um, but uh, yeah, so they... they um, so Flamingo is a sociable space. Um, and and uh, we created these four brands, which one of which is, a, is, a, is an all-day breakfast brand. We've got Brenda's in there as our burger brand. We've got Poco Loco, which is a, a Mexican taco brand. Yeah, okay. And we've created a, a dessert brand called Sweet Dreams. 
Um, so each of them is like an expert in their field. They're small menus under each brand. Um, and uh, we, we're really excited about the product we've created for each of them. We can see e either of, or all four of them becoming their own standalone sites if they go well. Um, and yeah, so that, that's, that's the Flamingo. And, and we, we still haven't finished it, actually. It's, I mean, you get, you get to a stage where you think you've finished the site and then so much downtime, so much sitting yeah. around and thinking about stuff. You go, oh, let's put some more plants over there. Let's do this over yeah. here. Let's create another area. And before we know it, it's another 20 grand down, you know, <laughs> yeah. down, down on the project. Yeah, in, yeah. yeah. We're like, eventually we'll start getting some money in the till. But um, yeah, we're looking to open mid-May when, uh, when indoor dining is, right. a, is a thing again. 17th of May then. Is 17th of May. Yeah, exactly. So we've touched on it, but we've got to talk about it. Hospitality sector, COVID, you know, we're now sitting mm. here in April, March 2020, you know, sector affected, I suppose. Yeah. Chicken and Blues, the takeaway function has been able to continue, but yeah. on a limited scale in terms of the restaurant. Yeah. How's COVID affected the business? Um, in regards to Chicken and Blues, it's uh, we, we consider ourselves to be very fortunate that um, you know when Boris Johnson said all restaurants and pubs must close, but takeaways, if anything, mm. we want you to stay open because you're providing a service yeah. of hot food delivery during lockdown. Um, we we then entered into one of the most intense phases of my life, mm. um, business or otherwise, because we then thought, right, not only are we becoming like a neighbourhood service uh, during the lockdown, and I saw that as being a responsibility, um, we also had a responsibility to our teams to keep yeah. them safe, um, keep them motivated to actually come into work, um, despite the fact some of them were quite scared of, of, of the whole kind mm. of uh, media surrounding the pandemic and what that might happen, what might, ha might occur to them if they were to catch it. Um, and we we we, uh, we also faced some backlash from other restaurateurs. Um, you know, in fact, one I don't even know who he was, but he came into Ashley Cross site and said, "What a disgrace it was that your uh, your bosses are making you come into work and all these sorts of things, uh, putting you in danger." I think there was partly jealousy that we you could see yeah. that we had queues down the road to delivery riders <laughs> and his restaurant was shut. But um, I can only imagine that was the case. But uh, yeah, so we went into this really intense phase where Ashley went on. Um, supply um yeah. as in like making sure we don't run out of food yeah. and all of our suppliers were shutting down um we went on he was also on operations to make sure our teams were, were you know yeah, reinforced after, yeah. we closed our boscombe site which made sure our boscombe team split across winton and ashley cross which gave us some reinforcements and we could cover all of boscombe zone on deliveries from winton so we yeah. made that change um yeah, steve was on finance and invoicing functions and staff payments and staff bonuses covid bonuses each day um i was on customer communications make sure everyone knew we were open we launched things like you know neighborhood funds and and uh, community outreach we gave away fifty thousand pounds worth of free food to nhs staff um for the for across three or four months um 50 off every time they came in uh, you know we went we did loads and loads of outreach I saw all of those campaigns every time yeah passed, that's yeah, it and I, I, I thought i thought you know what i it's an opportunity for us to do good. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we're very lucky we can stay open and and benefit financially from from, yeah. from still taking orders. But I wanted to to redirect some of that revenue into um, helping the local community and and doing some great outreach to to people on the front line, etc. Mm -hmm. And I think during that phase, not only did we grow a bigger fan base. But we actually did do good things. And I think that we feel very fortunate that we're in, in a position to do it. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been a mistake not to do it um, and, and try and capitalise on every penny we were making. So, uh, yeah, very proud, really, of, of our teams and how they coped during, during that phase. Obviously, Flamingo wasn't open and got mothballed, but um, we were just thankful that we had, a, uh, we had part of our business still running. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you're really the only strong effect, and it is a significant one, was Flamingo 
being mothballed. Yeah, because you yeah. acquired the site. I we, yeah, we acquired invested, the site. We, we spent invested in it. Yeah, we we spent half a million quid on it, um, which which is you know double what we were going to originally. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, rent still. Oh yeah, there were some grants. Don't get me wrong, but um, we were still heavily funding the site in regards to its development. So we we're still going further and further into the red in regards to you know capitalised cost into that venue, with with no money in the tills. Yeah. Um, so, so we were drawing money from Chicken and Blues, you know, loaning money from the yeah. business to business, and, and uh, getting the place open as best we can, and it's still not open. So, um, you know, thankful for the furlough scheme. We're thankful for you know the grants, mm. which have been very helpful. Uh, I know some of my friends that are in the business have been closed the whole time, and the grants haven't even covered their costs. Yeah. Um, you know, they've had to go into debts with bounce back loans and CBLS and all that sort of stuff, and and haven't been able to trade. It's been very kind of uh, mentally wearing for them to yeah. be sitting around, not being able to do business when they yeah. used to being very busy. Must be really horrible, horrible. Yeah. So 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 in in that sense, we feel very fortunate. But mm. I, I can't I can't deny that it was incredibly challenging and intense mm. to stay open. Sometimes uh, some some days I did suggest to my partners, look, you know, maybe we should to consider. Um, closing because mm. because this is very very intense for everybody involved yeah. and um, you know the days my partner said it to me I said don't be so stupid they I said this don't be so stupid <laughs> but that's before, what partners are there yeah. for always a bit of support before, well, yeah. when you've got the, got the right partners that's involved it. that's definitely that's it. a case so this podcast is likely to go out on the 12th of April the day yeah. that restaurants reopen so I assume you'll yeah. be reopening the restaurants within Chicken and Blue. We're not actually. You're no, not? we're not. We're okay. not because um, April 12th, it's going to be outdoor dining. Okay. Um, for pub gardens, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any outdoor space for Chicken and Blue sites. Okay. So uh, we're waiting till middle of May. Yeah. Uh, before we reopen for 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 you know indoor dining, which will be part, parties of six, two mixed households yeah. only, um, and all the restrictions or or you know. Uh, general kind of rules and regulations surrounding track and trace and all these sorts of things. We've got yeah. to get our head around all that again. Um, it's quite hard. I mean, I, I, I feel for lots of restaurants who have been who have been mothballed, reopening with no doubt being a very busy period because everyone's dying to go out for dinner yeah. or lunch. Um, and they're getting their staff back on the train of understanding not only the new regulations, but also just getting back on the, the hospitality yeah. train and actually, you know, getting the, the kitchens working well, again, the ovens are on and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I know? mean, I've yeah. spoke on a podcast to Mark Cribb and yeah. I've caught up with him since and, you know, of the urban group. And yeah. he says the biggest challenge is to his team who are in the hospitality sector because they love people, mm. is that you then got to spend time teaching your your clients customers rules that's right which doesn't really go with hospitality no. enforcing rules in hospitality there is a slight clash of culture there isn't there there definitely is there's definitely a huge is. responsibility on the, you as the businesses to, there, to there, do it properly as they there should is be. there is and and um, you're right i think you know the whole hospitality sector has had to evolve and and will no doubt evolve again when we reopen but thankfully um i think human beings are very adaptable yeah. and become used to things i mean i I know before the pandemic, we were trying to push click and collect to our customers, ordering on, online and, and collecting. And a lot of our customers were like, I don't want to order a click and collect. I don't yeah. even like the internet. You know, I want to come down, speak to member staff, order what I want, wait yeah. for it and go. And then eventually we had to say, look, you have to order a collection. We, could, you could, we, don't, we weren't taking walk-in takeaways because it was too busy in the yeah. site. Um, so they started ordering because they had to. Well, yeah. now... They, they demand click and collect because they love the efficiency of it. They like knowing what they've ordered. They like getting the confirmation email. They like arriving a minute before it's ready. Yeah. Um, you know, so now 90% of our orders will be click and collect from customers who six months ago were complaining about it. So that's going to happen again. You know, these, these new systems of ordering at the table on apps and stuff, there'll be friction. And then when people realize that their, their customer journey is actually enriched by this technology, yeah. um, they'll adopt it. 
it's interesting because I think in all businesses we're only starting to see what that change in our client and customer behavior is going to be as a result of the pandemic I don't think we're going to it's going to be an interesting 12 24 months I think to see how business changes and how mm. customer perceptions change and do they revert to old habits or do some of the efficiencies and changes that have crept in mm. escalate it's it's hard to tell isn't it well, nobody's yeah. got a crystal ball well i think they say that it takes 66 days to form a habit mm. and this has been a year yeah. of, of not standing at a busy bar yeah. you know not going to a busy festival you know not working your way through a big crowd of people to go to the toilet at the pub yeah. um on a friday night and it's all, i think i think it will take time to adjust back to that normality yeah. as and when those situations become available to us yeah. Um, but I think in many ways, um, the customer experience has been enriched by this technology and more space and tables and table service, these sorts mm. of things. I mean, do people really enjoy queuing four deep at a bar for a yeah. pint for 25 minutes? Was that really, was that really a nice yeah. experience? It might have been a nice atmosphere in there, but it's still a pain in the ass getting a drink. And yeah. um, I much prefer to sit at a table, ping, ping a message on my phone, and then and a, and a waiter or waitress brings over my drinks to my table yeah. within five minutes with no queuing, no, distru- no disruption to my social experience with my family or my friends. Yeah. You know, I think there's, you know, you can look at the bad side of it, you can look at the good side of it. And I, th- I think that the, the good side of it will be adopted ongoing by people. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yes, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, got to ask you the question. Obviously, you've been in business with family, mm. uh, and now you've been in business with a business partner you're respecting, Steve. What are the differences? Oh. And which one do you prefer? <laughs> which life end? I'm going to really gonna put you on the spot. <laughs> um, I, I think I, obviously I spent a long time in the family business, and and you know very inspired by by my dad, um, and you know his kind of. Uh, um, he wasn't risk averse, you know, he loved, loved taking a punt on stuff, you know, Cafe Shaw was a huge punt back in the day, you know, it was a Greasy Spoon Cafe mm-hmm. and Sandbanks was desolate, He's, he, he wanted to put a big flash restaurant right in the middle of, of Sandbanks, yeah. just moved down from London, you know, in his late 30s at the time, um, you know, so he took a punt and, and I think, you know, that's what I've learned from my dad over the years and my family, you know, um, on the whole is, 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 you know, life's there for taking, taking a punt yeah. and, um, you know, it's got to be a cultured punt as we learnt. Um, but they, they enjoy the fun of, of business. And yeah. I think I, I learnt my, I got my passion for, for creating stuff and selling stuff through my family. Um, Steve's very, very different. And Steve, Steve is, 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 is chalk and cheese, me, myself and Steve. He's, uh, he's, he's much more quiet. He's much more considered. He's, he's very sensible. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's an accountant, you know, I call yeah. him the, the administrator, um, <laughs> and that's what, I think that's what I've learned is is in business you need to have different types of people yeah. um, around the table to make a business work. I think myself and my dad were too similar. Yeah. We both love taking a punt. Um, we both love the journey of creation, um, but the, when when it's all up and running, it gets a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> they, need, they need the guys like you Steve the there to keep. You need, yeah, you need yeah. the operators to keep it running. Um, so, in answer to your question, you know, I think what being a business with my, with my father was amazing when it was amazing yeah fucking stressful when it was stressful because um we didn't have the the operator and the administrator around us yeah so we were kind of um you know in a bit of a dark place at times even though it seemed like i say great at the front it wasn't so great at the back um and with with steve i feel probably a lot more probably because i've got a lot older as well but a lot more kind of relaxed because i think well i can get on with my stuff and i know that he getting on with his stuff yeah we might be moving at a much slower pace than, than i'm used to yeah. back in the old days um, which does that frustrate you yeah it definitely does and I think you know actually Steve and Ash sat me down the other week and said look mate you know appreciate your energy and, and you know your ambition and stuff but you're really stressing everyone out here <laughs> um, can you just like calm down 
and uh, you know so I, th I think it how did you take that I, I, I took it I, I knew it was coming the signs were there so I was prepped for this meeting but um, I took it well when I, I, agree, I agreed with them I was stressing myself out as well as them about stuff you yeah. know about where I think we should be now what we should be doing and you hit what this idea that idea that idea and, um, and and they really put the brakes on me and said listen don't worry about it everything's gonna be alright and, I, and I, I, my response was well listen Steve you've never lost it all like I lost it all Ash, you never lost it all like I lost it all 10 years ago. Maybe this is a bit where my, my aggression and energy comes from. It's from fear of, of losing it again, mm. um, which is why I'm up a million miles an hour till midnight. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys are quite chill. You know, I'm, I'm pleased you are because you've relaxed me a little bit. Yeah. They said, look, they said to me, the signs will be there if the business is about to go tits up, mate. Yeah. Like you've got me on ops, me on admin, right? Just you'll relax. You're all right. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be overnight. If it goes wrong, go wrong over a long time, we'll snap, we'll snap it straight away. And I went away from the meeting saying, you know, I thanked them, really. I said, okay. cheers, because maybe my stress that I put myself under yeah. is my own problem and not, and it shouldn't be yours. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think I've, I've spent a bit of time, you know, contemplating that meeting and calming down a little bit and okay. realising that the journey is longer than I think it should be. Yeah. And just got to kind of do one thing at a time. Take a step at a time. Yeah. So how does... That affect, how does that spirit, that creativity, that energy that, you know, is in the room now as we yeah. speak affect your family life? And I mean your family life. Yeah. You talk about having children and, you know, stepping out of the nightclub industry mm. to spend more time with the family. I've, I've given my wife hell, I think, yeah. over, over the last... Uh, <laughs> you know, I've been with, with Carly for 20 years. Uh, married for, you know, we've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old son, uh, two little boys. And um, yeah, she she's grown to kind of accept, I suppose, that she's married to someone who um, is 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 totally obsessive character. Um, if I get into something like yeah. golf, if I get into something, yeah. don't talk about anything apart from that all day for years. Or I'm not interested. Yeah. And um, and she often shouts and screams at me, "Get off your phone!" You know, not everyone wants to talk about business as much as you. Yeah. You, you went and met, saw my mum and dad for lunch. All you spoke about was business. And my yeah. dad doesn't even give a shit about fucking business. <laughs> you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like a bit of a, a self awareness, uh, you know, thing I've got to go through. But um, yeah, I, I think it has. It, in some ways, it's been great. My, my sons love the, the love the, the passion and energy of yeah. it all. They're, 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 they're coming to me with ideas. Only this morning, my twelve year old son WhatsApp me. Have you seen McDonald's new packaging for their fillet of fish burger? <laughs> you know, he's, I can see he's only doing this because he sees me talking yeah. about this all the time. But he's loving it as well. Um, he lo loves the whole vibe of of, of, of business and, and considers himself to be a, right. a budding businessman. My wife, on the other hand, just like wants me to just watch a film and just put my feet up. Yeah. And um, and I, I think in that sense, it's been tough. Uh, but like I keep saying to her, you know, she's not high maintenance, I wouldn't say, but she likes the nice things in life. Yeah. And kids go to private school, um, go on nice holidays, got a nice house, you know. Um, of course, we've got a nice relationship, which which is the most oh, important thing. Because without twenty years, standing, well, so without, yeah, without 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 relationships in life, money means nothing. No. Um, but but if we want to have a certain level, and it is about levels in life. Yeah. Um, if we want to be pitched up at a decent level of lifestyle, then someone has got to do some bloody work. Yeah. And and <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that's you. You'll do the graph. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, always start to sort of wind up with a couple of questions and mm -hmm. one of those most pertinent ones and we've touched on it quite a bit actually is what is your definition of success with mm. all you've learned through your journey yeah it's a good one um well you, you can look at success in many different ways i mean I, I think that um you know if i look at financial success then i would say that um you know if, if financial freedom um and by financial freedom i mean you know passive income being greater than your monthly burn 
yeah. uh, whatever the monthly burn is. You know, if you if you if your lifestyle costs you ten grand a month, you should have twenty grand a month coming in pretty passively without doing much work. Yeah. That's a nice position to be in. Um, if you want, you know, financial freedom, and you've only got five grand a month of passive income, live yeah. on two grand. Yeah. You know, so it's about adjusting. So I think that you know, I want to get to a stage where I have a very good level of lifestyle without having to do much yeah. work apart from stuff I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the financial side of out of the way, but really, I think success is is happiness in what in what in in, in the moment. Um, you know, this cliche to say happiness isn't a destination; it's the journey. But it's it's true, yeah. and I think, you know, from, from our point of view, um, you know, I, I I love work, I love it. You know, so I don't see it as a job. Um, I, I I'm very passionate about what I do. So I think in in that sense, I have su- I have success in my career, yeah. um, because I don't see it as a job. Um, and you know, I've got I, I spend. Whatever time I'm not spent with my my business, I'm with my family, very very close family. Um, you know, health is vital. Uh, yeah. There's no point. I, mean, I I got diagnosed with type one diabetes a couple of years ago, okay. uh, which which my doctor tells me comes from stress I put on myself. Okay. Um, just living with high levels of you know yeah. cortisol and adrenaline for many years, not sleeping. Um, my, my my body kind of gave me a bit of a, uh, a dig in the ribs and said, yeah. listen, calm down a bit. Um, so I, because I I've gone through the journey of you know never being ill to now manually injecting myself with insulin five times a day yeah. uh, I, it's made me realize that actually health is very important yeah. i took it for Gives granted balance, yeah i took it for granted yeah so yeah. so so success is a mixture of great relationships you know looking after your health and um and enjoying getting up and doing whatever it is you're doing that day in my in my case it's business in my wife's case it's you know um going to zara and buying spending money but uh you know that that's that's uh, success to me just to continue enjoying every day um, yeah. and, and never never regretting anything. So my final question is, has there ever been that moment in this journey where you wish you'd just stuck with golf? <laughs> <laughs> um, the way I'm playing at the moment, no. Uh, because, <laughs> because I, you know, golf takes some serious practice and uh, I, 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 you know, there's no regrets in life. I One thing I, I think maybe I should have done when I was 17, I got offered a few golf scholarships to American universities and I didn't go. Had I've gone to America at 17, I might never have come back. Yeah. So so you do come in life, you sometimes wonder how your journey may have taken itself. But I've got, I've got zero regrets. I play golf for a bit of a hobby these days, take a, take a bit of money off my mates. Um, so no, I, I, I would not be a golfer if given the choice brilliant Josh <laughs> great final answer so you've been an awesome guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast thank you for joining me Warren thanks for having me mate it's been a pleasure what a great honest conversation that was with Josh there are a few things I took away from that conversation and they're insights that both an experienced business owner or budding entrepreneur can take on board The first is realising that looking after your well-being and realising that business isn't everything is so important. The second is that the lessons we learn from failure and challenging times not only make us more rounded, self-aware individuals, but can often be the spark for looking at things from a completely different angle and perspective that creates new opportunities that wouldn't have otherwise been there. The third and final lesson is that success both in life and business, is not a linear journey. Now, I know this is an adage we've all heard before, but I think it's really important to remember this and to collate your expectations with it. By acknowledging there will always be ups, downs and unexpected turns, you become a more adaptable person. In that same vein, Josh spoke a few times about how losing everything, instead of being a negative thing, became a great motivator for future success something to always keep in mind when things aren't going to plan. 
If you want to learn more about the services offered by Evolve, the peer groups, the one-to-one coaching, our co-working space and Ashley Carson Ball, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can also register there for our weekly insight and newsletters. So please do go to evolvemembers.com if that's of interest. In the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. And remember, you can help us by subscribing, rating and reviewing this podcast. Until next week, thank you for listening.